0: All right, you guys are excited. Well, welcome to City Light. My name' is Nate. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you. Please fill out that connect card on your seat. And as well as we work through our series, we have those scripture journals we'd like to make available to you. So on your way out, if you would like one, it's just uh, the Book of Colossians in journal format. They're free and available to you. Please take that and use it throughout this series. So we're we're in week two of our series called Primary Christianity. The message today is called Colorize, Colorize, all right? You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, to colorize is simply to add color to something, all right? Very profound. It's to add color to something. It's the word people use mainly for when you take like a black and white old movie and you, you add color to it and you make it a color movie. That's to colorize the movie. You take it all, you add color to it. And as we talked about even a little bit last week, this is exactly what God wants to do with your life. He wants to add color to your life. And what we see, as we talked about last week, is that primary Christianity is realizing that the primary source of all of life is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the emphasis of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That from this source of Jesus, everything else flows. It was like primary colors. From the primary colors, all of the colors come. And so it is with our relationship with God and with life in general is that Jesus is the source from which everything else comes. And so that was the the theology basically of Colossians 1, the first eight verses. And today it's a little more practical as to how do I add color to my life? How do I move out of the dullness or maybe or the black and whiteness of life and move into a life full of vibrancy and color? How do I do that today in the midst of my everyday life? And that's what I want to help you to see, is that God wants to colorize your life to make it vibrant and to make it useful. And so today we're going to go ahead and look at Colossians 1. So open your Bible to Colossians 1. Let's go. go. All right. We're excited to hear from the Lord this morning. We only have two verses, uh, but the sermon will probably be the same length, all right? So this is how it goes, all right? I can't can't figure it out. So verse 9, from 9 and 10, that's all we got. Verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, these two verses give us an idea, a picture, of what a life in full color looks like. The first thing I want you to understand about these verses and about the truth behind them is that you add color to your life when you follow the will of God. And this is important because the lie of the world is the opposite and that you are told that following God's will or doing things God's way makes life dull and boring. The lie of the world is that the world is fun. The temptations are thrilling. It's way more fun to break the rules. And, and we begin to believe that the will of God and the way of God will actually dampen or dull in my life. We might believe that it's true, but we don't believe that it's best, that it's enjoyable. And what I wanna present to you today this morning from this text that's talking about the will of God is to show you how it's the complete opposite, how following the will of God is the very thing thing that makes life exciting it's the very thing that adds color to your life it's the very thing that adds zeal and definition to your life it's the very thing that you were made for uh, the other day maybe it was like during during christmas a few weeks ago we went to this place called the artec house in dc has anybody ever been there no okay I had never even heard of it all right so I don't I don't surprise you not anybody does anybody know what I'm talking about no there's a couple okay great great great. I'm not all alone it's called the Art Tech House and uh it's this it's kind of like this psychedelic experience okay it's very weird you you walk in and it's just a big room a giant room with music and then uh I don't know if you call it 3D images or whatever, just images on the floor and in front, you're surrounded, okay? You're immersed, I guess would be the word. So you look up, you look down, you look left, you look right, and there's, this, there's these things happening, those colors and, and all these different things, or whether it's pictures, and, and, uh, and you're just kind of, you're just in there, okay? So it looks cooler online than it is in person, number one, okay? Uh, Cause we get to the room, and you know we're there two minutes. I'm with all my children and with their cousins, and they're like, "Well, what else is there?" And there's nowhere else. There's nothing else. There's 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 a room. There's a room. All right. We paid way too much money to get in a room. I don't understand. It doesn't look like it. So we get in there, and the, at least the, it's very like you know colorful and it's kind of crazy. And there's people like very artistic people. I could tell the type of people to come to places like this. And I knew right away my family did not belong in this place. <laughs> right. Away. I was like, this is not good. There's people like, you know, sitting on the side, just quietly taking it in, you know, talking to another about the meaning of all these things. And and there's a few girls posing for Instagram selfies in the middle of the thing. No shame whatsoever, just sprawling out like this, you know. And, everybody, and that's basically what happened. There's people creating uh, Instagram reels, and there's people uh, philosophizing over you know, the meaning of life. Okay, these are the two people in the room right now. And then there's my children and their cousins, okay. And and they are running like crazy, and they're jumping up and down. And obviously, this is not the vibe of the place. This is not the vibe. This is not. And we're trying to say, okay, whatever. And a worker comes up. He's like, you're gonna have, I'm going to have to ask your kids to calm down. You know, they can't. I'm like, well, why don't you ask them to calm down? It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work very good when I do that. Uh, he's like, they can't. This is not. You're not supposed to run, jump, or play in the room. And I was like, so you're just supposed to sit here? He said, Yes. And I said, so they can't have any fun? And he said, yes. <laughs> I said, what did I pay the money for? <laughs> and literally it's the whole time, you know, like you just go sit down and you can't have any fun. Well, I feel like sometimes this is our impression of God. You get to him, you say, well, this is cool. Look at all these things I could do or play with or be or enjoy. And we sometimes look to God and he says, well, you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do this. We say, well, I can't have any fun, huh? You know? And our impression is that God is like, yeah, that's right, you can't have any fun. I made this awesome world, I don't want you to have any fun in it, you know. I want everything to be terrible for you, just sit down, you know. This is the idea we get, we get, well, Chris, is boring, I do it God's will, and God's way, you know. And what I want to do today is completely kill that idea, and hopefully through the Scriptures, and through the, what He's offering you, show you how amazing and wondrous the will of God is for your life. I'm gonna show you how great it is to choose the way of God, how, how enjoyable it is to do the things that God has asked, how, uh, how awesome it is to choose the will and the way of God, how that actually adds color, it adds fun, it adds zeal, it adds fullness of life. Even in the midst of suffering and difficulties, because there's obviously part of this is when you follow God, you have to deny yourself in many ways. And that's going to require sacrifice and you're going to encounter suffering, but that doesn't negate, because it actually enhances what God wants to do in your life, even in those times. So what I wanna show you today is that, what God is making available to you, a life in full color, taking advantage of everything that God has for you in your life. And so when we look at this passage, we see there's basically five things the passage says. And I'm going to summarize this with four categories we're going to work through. So the five things the passage describes, a life in full color is a life, number one, supported by prayer. He says, we always pray for you. Number two, it's a life that's filled with the knowledge of God's will. So it's an understanding of who God is and what God wants. The third, it says, is a life that walks in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the next part. It's a life that chooses to please God, that doesn't live to please self. The irony is that the more you try to please yourself, the less good of a job you do at it. Everybody here say amen to that, you know? I tried and I failed. The stupid thing about all of us is we keep trying again the same thing that failed again before. Well, I can figure it out next time. No, you cannot, okay? So we need to live to please God. And when we live to please God, we actually begin to live the life that is pleasing to us. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is we bear fruit in every good work. We have a useful life, a purposeful life. And the fifth thing is we increase in the knowledge of God. We grow in our, our knowledge of the most important thing in the universe. These are the five things, just in these two passages, the Bible depicts to us as ways we ought to live, things that add, as the, as the metaphor of this series is, things that add color to our life. So I'm gonna take those five things and I'm gonna try to summarize them in four categories that I think are things we're all looking for, things we all wanna participate in, things we all want uh, that the Bible offers us in a relationship with Jesus. These four categories we're gonna work through the rest of the time, kind of summarize these, are spiritual wisdom, Or you call it spiritual insight, relational connection, good works, and growing knowledge. If you want to live a life full of color, you can add these four things to your life as you follow Jesus, spiritual wisdom, or great spiritual insight, relational connection to be deeply satisfied in a relationship, good works to purposeful, useful life, and growing knowledge to be growing in your understanding of the most important thing in the world. So we see from this, it all starts with wisdom. Wisdom is the, the kickstarter to all of this passage and it really is to all of our life. I want you to understand this because you know this is how wisdom works, okay? You can write this down for you to consider for your life. So wisdom, wisdom makes good decisions and good decisions make a good life. This is how wisdom works. Wisdom makes good decisions. Good decisions make a good life, right? Your decisions determine the outcome of your life. Wisdom makes good ones. Good decisions make a good life. This is how it works in the world. We all know this. This is when you're trying to teach your kids all the time. Like, you gotta make good decisions. Good decisions matter. But more importantly than this, the next level is that spiritual wisdom makes godly decisions, and godly decisions make a godly life. So wisdom makes good decisions. Good decisions make a good life. Spiritual wisdom makes godly decisions, and godly decisions make a godly life. And so wisdom is so important to get us into the decision-making of our life that can lead us to be godly people. In a sense today, I want to help you work smarter, not harder. Some of you have been trying so hard to do the things that God has asked you to do, or maybe live in a certain way that makes you happy, and it hasn't been working. And maybe the solution isn't that you need to try harder, but you need to work smarter. You need to apply wisdom. So spiritual wisdom, this is the first thing that adds color to your life. Verse nine says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So spiritual wisdom is is the offer on the table so far in the passage. Spiritual wisdom is kind of the first thing that gets brought to mind. You wanna live a life in full color when you need spiritual wisdom. This is important to Paul, and it's an important setup for our series because part of the issue Paul's dealing with in the, in the Colossian church and in the group of people there is that they're desiring to know and to have deep spiritual insight. Later in chapter two, he says to beware of the empty philosophies of the world and then he'll also then turn his eye to, a, to a religious tradition, and he also says you need to beware of kind of the things in there that offer you something that aren't substantive, that aren't in Jesus. So Paul's dealing with a group of people. Get this: that want to be spiritual but not religious. Does that sound Does that sound anything like uh, like our life? You know, uh, the, the, the humans are always the same. Okay, for all of all of history, right? They want to be They want to be spiritual. And some of them want to be spiritual and try to do it very religiously. They're doing it the wrong way. And some of them want to be spiritual uh, anti-religiously. They want empty philosophies. They, but what the, the craving in the group of people is to have this deep, deep knowledge of the universe and how we should live. I think this is central to us as well. And this is why Paul says, uh, later in First, first uh, Colossians chapter 1, he, he describes it this. He says, the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And so Paul is going to be talking, talking, taking this language of mystery, deep spiritual wisdom and understanding, particularly to attack or to help them make sense of what true wisdom is. We think about it, you know, it's kind of like the Limitless pill. I mean, have you seen that movie Limitless? You know, uh, Bradley Cooper, he, he takes this pill and it, it just ramps up his understanding of life. And he's just able to make uh, crazy decisions and he knows everything that's happening. And it just, he takes this pill and it gives him this, boom, you know, this insight into the world around him. Well, this is what obviously we crave for. We crave to have this deeper understanding of things. And what I want to help you see throughout Colossians is that the deepest truths available to you that take you deeper into inside of the world are only accessible through Jesus Christ. The only way to grow in deep spiritual knowledge is to grow in relationship to Jesus. Okay, you need to understand this about your life. And that's what Paul is going to present. So I'm, part of what I'm doing is setting up the rest of the book as we continue to go, because he's going to start getting into all these particulars about Jesus. And as he goes deeper into who Jesus is, part of what he's trying to help them understand is the, the more you grow in knowledge of Jesus, the deeper you go into wisdom. And the deeper you go into spiritual understanding and insight. And so this is what Paul is after, to help them understand these things. There's a sense in which a play on words for our modern days would be like, well, you can't actually be spiritual and not religious because being spiritual requires following a particular way, the way set out by Jesus Christ. It's not ambiguous. To be spiritual is not to be ambiguous or to have a vibe about your life. To be spiritual, true spirituality is to follow a particular person, Jesus, and to choose his way and his will in a very particular way. And so now, as we, let's talk more about wisdom. So the first thing Paul prays for when he asks for wisdom, so he says, that I want them to have wisdom. Well, what is wisdom to Paul? Wisdom is the knowledge of God's will. So Paul's priority is wisdom. This is just like Solomon. You remember when Solomon takes over the kingdom and God's basically like genie in the bottle for a day. He has one request. You know, what, what do you want, Solomon? You could ask, he could ask for riches and glory and all these things. And the thing Solomon asked for that you see in this Old Testament story is wisdom. It's the one thing that he asked for. And God honors his request for wisdom. He gives him great wisdom, but along with wisdom comes every other thing he could have asked for. He's, he, he gets glory, he gets riches, he gets all these other things with it. His life goes well. And he begins to understand until later in his life he begins to, to, to make bad decisions. But he gets wisdom in the very beginning. This changes his life, the direction of his life. And so Paul's doing the same thing. He's saying the greatest thing that you need is wisdom. Now here's, I wanna define spiritual wisdom sort of for you. I'm gonna just write this down for you to consider, okay? Spiritual wisdom is the knowledge of God's will and the understanding of how God wants you to live that out in every situation. So here's real spiritual wisdom. Which is wisdom. So just remember, I'm adding the word spiritual because this is what the Bible is calling it. But real wisdom is spiritual wisdom. There's no such thing as wisdom. That's not real spiritual wisdom. Otherwise, it's just a waste. So spiritual wisdom is the knowledge of God's will and the understanding of how God wants you to live that out in every situation. It's it's growing an understanding of who God is and what God wants. And then being able to apply that to every possible situation you encounter. This is why this is something we should always pursue to grow in. Because our whole life will be aiming at knowing God and who God is. And then trying to understand How that works in this particular conversation, how that works in this particular situation, how that works with this particular amount of money, how that works with this particular difficulty is taking the will of God and then being able to shove it into every minute of your day. And then that enabling you to make godly decisions at every corner that lead to a godly life. You see what's happening here? This is why it's something we should crave so much is to say, I want to grow in my understanding of God's will and my ability to apply it or to live that out in every situation. This is what it means to grow in this way. So like a year from now, you could do much better at applying God's will to your life if you continue to pursue spiritual wisdom you would have what we call a better sense, a better, a better sense for things, a better intuition, so to speak, for what God wants right now. And then you begin to make decisions in light of that and you see how it just builds. I understand who God is. I understand better what God wants. And I'm learning how to apply that in every situation. And I keep doing that and I keep doing that. And slowly and slowly and slowly, I build this spiritually strong life. And I become a person of great spiritual wisdom. This is what God wants for all of us. So the knowledge is, the knowledge here to describe is particularly of God's will. God's will, not just uh, the big God's will, but God's will in terms of how I should live in every situation. Another way could be, the way to say it is how God wants, what God wants. Not just God's will, what God does, but God's will, what God wants. How does he want me to live? What does he want me to do? This is the kind of knowledge that Paul is offering. And here's the difference that Paul makes for them is there's people speculating and going on and on about all these ambiguous realities. What about this? What about that? Or what about this? Or what about that? Or what over there? What over there? And they're just talking and talking and talking and talking and taking different left and right turns. And all they do is talk. And what God, what Paul is trying to help them understand is that true wisdom and true knowledge doesn't just talk, it lives. And there's a way and a will of God that is clear and understandable, So the wisdom that comes from God is very practical. So Paul is saying, listen, I want you to know the will of God so that you can go live it. And then the rest of Colossians, he's going to list things we should do and not do, and he's going to help us understand. But what Paul wants to make sure is clear in our lives is that we don't spend our lives speculating all the time about this and that, or this and that about God or about other things, but we prioritize taking the knowledge we have of God and using it and living it. The will of God is not unclear. The will of God is not ambiguous. You don't have to wonder what the will of God is. The will of God in the scriptures is obvious. The will of God is not about whether you should go to this college or that college, take this job or take that job, date this person or date that person. The will of God is not those things as much as the will of God is who you should be in all of those different situations. You're so worried about what what you should do and where you should go and the will of God primarily is about who you should be. And if you would become the kind of person you are supposed to be, you would go the kinds of places you are supposed to go and you would do the kinds of things you're supposed to do. The will of God is not, I just want to kill the idea in your life that I don't know the will of God. Yes, you do. The will of God is to know Jesus. The will of God is to follow Jesus. The will of God is to be holy. The will of God is more about who you are than where you are. The will of what Paul wants to help make clear is the will of God is clear. It's doable. It's one plus one. It's not ambiguous and it's not complicated. It may be hard sometimes, but it's not confusing. The will of God is way more about who I am. And that's what Paul wants us to understand as we work through the scriptures and who I am will determine what I do. And just to throw this in there to help you, we did a whole like five or six weeks when we were working through First Thessalonians two, two years ago, the same concept kind of came up in Paul's teaching when he says, this is the will of God and then he walks through different ways we should live. And so that's available to you. It's like five different sermons on the will of God. It might help you kind of understand that concept more because I'm not gonna go deeper into it now. So wisdom as we've seen, basically is the knowledge of God's will. We need spiritual wisdom. To be wise as a human being, not just as a Christian, but as a human, because you were made by God and you need to access this through becoming a Christian, through believing in Jesus. But wisdom, to be wise, is to understand how God wants you to live. It's that simple. To be wise is to understand how God wants you to live. Therefore, you cannot truly be wise apart from knowledge of God's will. Okay? So to be wise is to know how God wants me to live. That's the, that's God's definition of wisdom. And since he made you, it is the definition. To be wise is just to do what God wants, just to know how God wants you to live. So therefore, you can't be wise at all until you acknowledge and know God. So in this sense, a child, a small child, can obtain more wisdom than a tenured professor if the child professes faith to follow Jesus And the professor is a fool who doesn't acknowledge God's existence. A five-year-old child can operate with more wisdom than a 60-year-old experienced, tenured professor if there's faith in one and not faith in the other. Because wisdom is about acknowledging who God is and following God's way. So in this idea, this reality, any person on earth can be a person of great wisdom. Great wisdom does not require great intellect. Great wisdom does not require great education. Great wisdom does not require great experience. And great wisdom does not require great resources. Great wisdom requires one thing, a great commitment to the will of God. And therefore, anyone, anyone can be a person of great wisdom and a person who knows the true deep meanings of the universe and can do so even at a young age if that person is full of faith in Jesus Christ. The thing that wisdom requires most is to be a person who seeks after God. You don't need great education, great experience, great resources. You need to have a great commitment to the will of God. And when you do that, you will be a person who grows in wisdom. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord, you guys know this, is the beginning of Wisdom, which means that I can't start to be wise until I start fearing the Lord. I can't even begin. Wisdom hasn't even started yet. I just kind of want to present that to you, especially to those of you who are here. Maybe a friend brought you or you're watching online and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet. One of the things I want to entice you with this morning is to help you understand that your rejection of Jesus is the rejection of your own growth. You are limiting your ability to have insight into the world. You are not more knowledgeable because you reject the things of God. You are less knowledgeable. You are staying away from deep insight and knowledge. And through faith in Jesus now, you begin to have access to the reality of the world, which is God, the one who made all things. If you want to live a life of color, you have to live a life of wisdom. You cannot begin to be wise until you begin to follow God. It is the beginning. The Bible teaches us even this, that the wisdom of God is in opposition to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is foolish to the world. So if you choose the wisdom of the world, you will think the wisdom of God looks foolish. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to read it to you. He says, Jews demand signs. They want miracles. And Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And later in verse 30, it says this. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So the wisdom of God is revealed in the person of Christ. Therefore, you cannot access wisdom if you reject Jesus. Wisdom is Jesus. Look at this. He became the wisdom of God. And therefore, if Jesus is foolish to you, then wisdom is foolish to you as well. You cannot be a person of wisdom if you reject Jesus. Now, this is where I want to go back to the primary thing again as well. If Jesus is the revelation of the wisdom of God, And he's the primary source from which all wisdom flows. That no wisdom can be given to you in terms of how to be a husband, how to be a parent, how to be a good student, how to be a good friend, how to live in this situation, how to live in that situation, how to communicate better in this way and this way. All the wisdom you need to live the kind of life you are called to live is only available to you through one source, is Jesus. And you will not have the wisdom that you need to live the life you are called to live until you commit to Jesus. And always the wisdom that you need, even as a Christian, you must pull from the source of Jesus. You can never move beyond the gospel or beyond who Jesus is to gain greater understanding. The deepest understanding of all things is always in Jesus. Jesus is wisdom from God. And so this is the reality for our lives. This is why as we, even Colossians, as he goes and talks about Jesus and what we say in the the Freedom Series in the beginning of the year, we become what we behold. So if I behold and grow and prioritize my relationship to Jesus, the byproduct will be I'm a person of great wisdom. So instead of just trying to become a person of great wisdom, the goal of my life is to become a person madly in love with Jesus. And as I grow in love with Jesus, the byproduct of my life will be that I'll have more wisdom. So remember, in Christianity, it always works that way. The priority is on Jesus and your relationship to him. The more you foster that and you grow in knowledge of God and the more you grow in enjoyment of his presence in your life and the more you grow in your relational connection to Jesus, the more you will begin to have all the byproducts of that which wisdom is included. So this wisdom reality now should give us this this urge. I hope to put it in front of you to say, well, if this is true, then there's always room to grow in my understanding of God's will. Therefore, I always have opportunity to become a person of great spiritual wisdom. Remember, spiritual wisdom makes godly decisions and godly decisions make a godly life. So the next one that I wanna present to you that add color to your life, you need spiritual wisdom, you also need relational connection. Relational connection. Verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the wisdom or this way of life is based on connection. It's relational. What we see from this is that wisdom walks, it walks towards God, it walks with God, it walks in relationship to God. True wisdom makes decisions from a heart that's overflowing in love for God. It's relational connection, a life that, does, that wants to please God. Having relational connection or relational satisfaction is a huge aspect of adding color to your life of having a life of vibrancy contentment satisfaction these are this reality of relational connection of someone that you can live with and for is wired into us well, that's why we need community. It's why we seek out spouses. It's why we have friends. It's, it's why we feel so empty if that part of our life is, is not there, and it's why loneliness is such an issue. I mean, you know, the Surgeon General has called loneliness an epidemic. It's a real problem. Why? Well, because humans are made for relational connection. We see that in our relationships to one another, and we see that in our desires for friendship or spouses or things like that. Well, what I want you to understand at the deepest level is the relationship that you were made is to walk with God and to live a life pleasing to him the relational connection that your soul longs for is not with a spouse or a friend it's with God the person that you were made to keep company with and to enjoy their presence most is God The aspect of your life that might be missing, you could have friends, you could have company, you could have spouse, you could have all sorts of relational aspects in your life, but you're still feeling left out or empty, and it's because the one relationship that matters is the one that you don't have, it's Jesus. You were made to keep company with Jesus, and you were made to have a heart that desires to please Jesus. This teaches us that the way we live And true wisdom isn't just about a way of life, but a person. It's about a relationship. And it's about the fact that God wants a relationship with you. And living in a way that honors God, this is how this works, okay, amplifies the experience of the relationship. So when I choose things that honor God, God certainly doesn't love me anymore. His love is steadfast. His love is the same in my mistakes and my good days and bad days. But my experience of his love towards me and my ability to take hold of that is amplified to the degree that I live in a way that honors him. Any of you have been walking with Christ long enough to know this? No, that the more I choose the thing that God loves, the more I enjoy the spiritual realities available to me the joy that comes from God, the love that comes from God, the satisfaction in relationship to Him, the feeling content and full with my relationship with God. These things become available to me at a higher and higher level. So when I choose to walk in wisdom, I open the door to all these possibilities of enjoying what it is to know God and having my relationship with Him. Therefore, I desire to please Him because not only do I want to honor God, but living to please God is the very thing that returns back to me. This is the same, you guys know this, about falling in love, okay? Whether you've fallen in love or not, or whether you've had feelings for someone, you know this. As soon as you begin falling in love or getting feelings for someone, maybe you're scared of the L word, okay? You don't wanna come in, you're saying, I just like this person, whatever it is. As soon as this happens and you begin to have feelings for this particular person, All of your decisions begin to be made in order to please that person. You become consumed with this idea. I wanna please this person. Now, did someone have to come alongside, you know, a good friend to say, hey, listen, you need to wake up every day because you love this person, because you like this person, and you need to make decisions that please them. Did you need a preacher to come by and say, when you're falling in love, you should help, you should make sure to please please them. You should do things that make them happy. You should try to help them and serve them. No. What is it? It comes from the heart, and it's instinctual, and it's overwhelming. I love this person, or I'm falling in love with this person. I'm overwhelmed with this person. All the intentions of my heart are to make this person happy. I want to please this person. And you don't need anybody else to come alongside of you, kick you, and say, hey, This is the reality of falling in love and you are made for that relational connection and your desire. Nobody would say, "Okay, your desire to please that person. Why would you why would you why would you want to do that? Why would you? That makes sense to everybody. Say, well, it makes sense. You're in love with this person. You want to please this person. Well, in the same sense now, it's true when you apply it to living and loving God. The idea of me growing in love for God begins to lead me to the fact that I want to please him, not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I'm driven from my heart to love and to please God, because he's somebody I want to honor. Here's a simple way you can say this, is that our decisions should come from a desire to please God. Our decisions should come from a desire to please God. Our great question to ask in every situation is, what would please God? What would please God? What would honor God? And to the degree that my decisions do not come from a place to desire, to, from a desire to please God, then I need to grow in this area of my life. A person who has great spiritual wisdom and who is connected appropriately to Jesus will more than not, at least, not all the time, but more than not, their decisions would be connected to their desire. And their desire, their primary one, at least, is to please God. So you and I know this, that all of your decisions are made from the place of desire. You know this. Even the, even the ones that are in discipline or whatever, it all comes from a place of desire because you want something else. You choose to live a certain way or eat a certain way because you desire something more important than that. It's not that you don't desire the candy anymore. It's that you desire a healthy lifestyle. Your decisions come from desire. It doesn't even matter. Your, your, your head informs you, but you always make decisions with your heart. This is why we get in trouble so much. I mean, this is why this leads us in the wrong place. Our decisions are are formed by our desire. Therefore, if you want to make better decisions, the main place to work on is not the decision, but the desires. And to begin to fuel and flame desire for God and a desire to please God, a want to. And to make sure you're growing in that. Instead of saying, ha, I can't control my feelings, or ha, blah, 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 you know? Instead of saying these things, just giving it up and saying, well, I mean, how could you possibly love God like that? That's sometimes how we think. Instead of going that way, choosing the other way and saying, okay, my decisions are connected to my desires. This is often what leads me to sin. And so one of the things that I need to do is grow my desire to please God. And I will grow my desire to please God when I fix my attention on how wonderful God is and how worthy he is of being pleased with my life. When I begin to focus on the wonder of who Jesus is, and I just remember the goodness of the gospel, and how Jesus died for me, how he covered all my sins, how though I rebelled against him, he came and died for me, and not only that, now he fills me with the Holy Spirit, and gives me heaven and eternal life, and he walks with me now, and Jesus is the most beautiful person in the world and the being. Jesus is the most righteous, the most pure, the most wonderful, the most good. There's no one more lovely or honorable or better to fall in love with with than jesus and so when i begin to see this rightly so when we don't see jesus like this it's not a jesus problem it's an us problem our hearts are defective and jesus is worthy of our love and admiration and honor there's no one you should be falling in love with more than jesus he's more beautiful than the most beautiful person you've ever seen he's more lovely more kind more generous more pure more perfect And as Paul does this, he unfolds in Colossians the wonder of who Jesus is. What happens is when I attach my attention to the greatness of Jesus, my heart begins to follow where I put my attention and my desires begin to be pointed in the direction of God. And as my desires are towards God, it becomes a natural inclination of my heart to do what pleases Him. And when I do what please him, I tap into the well of knowing God. And I can experience what it is to be close to God. And that makes me so excited. It makes me realize, man, sin never delivers on its promises. To desire sin is to destroy myself. But God not only delivers on what he promises me, but he ups it again and again and again and again. I can never tap him out. I can never get enough of God. And so I just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And I get a taste for God that makes me. We distaste everything else. It makes me love the will of God. It makes me enjoy God's presence. It fuels my desires to make good decisions. And now I've become a person instead of all the time being the Christian saying, "Well, no, I can't do this. No, I can't have any fun. No, I can't." And, da, 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 da. and yes, I'm supposed to read my Bible. And yes, you know how that is, but Yes, I'm supposed to do this, and no, I can't do this. You try with all your might to do it and you fail. That doesn't work. What you need to do is fuel your desire for Jesus and let that desire run and lead your life. It's a much more enjoyable way to live. Nobody hates falling in love. Nobody's like, well, man, you might hate what happened after, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying it worked out for all of you. But while it was happening, you didn't despise this. Man, I just hate the feeling of being in love. I hate just being so consumed with someone so wonderful. No. And this is how it is supposed to be, at least with Jesus. And something that our hearts could turn towards and grow in every day. So relational connection. Here's something I want you to consider is that, you know, the world around us, you, you maybe included, want to be spiritual and not religious. But what you need to understand is that you can't be spiritual and not relational. You want to be spiritual and not religious. And I understand at some level what that means. You know, I want to focus on the spiritual side and not all the traditions and rules, which can be good in some sense, but also can be bad. The rules and traditions are good also. In some sense. But what you can't be is spiritual and not relational. Which means that you can't have a spiritual life and well being that's not attached to a relationship with Jesus. You can't. And you will never experience things in the spirit that can fill your life if you do not follow the person Jesus. You can't be spiritual and not relational. Some of you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus today to turn from your sin and believe in who he is. He'll receive you today. He wants to have a relationship with you. The good news is, is that God made you to have a relationship with you. You and I have broken the relationship we have with God. It's our fault, not his, because of our sin. But God hasn't forgotten or said, well, be, go be all by yourself. You know, have it your way. No, he has come down and he has died and risen again to offer a relationship to you. God wants a relationship with you. Do you ever just think about how basic this is? God of the universe desires to be in communion with little old you and me. He doesn't just want to rule your life and be the boss of your life. He wants to be in relationship to you. So much so that he died on a cross to make a way for you to be in relationship to him. God desires your company. God loves to hear from you. He loves to talk with you. He loves to bless you. He loves to be in relationship to you. And God's heart is that for you. If you're not experiencing that with God now, I just want to encourage you that that is available to you through focusing on who Jesus is in your life. And if you are not have that, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. So if you want to be spiritual, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. And to have a relationship with Jesus requires turning from sin and trusting in his life, death, and resurrection for you. So that's the relational connection, another aspect of adding color to your life. And we all know this, life is very blah apart from relationships, and the greatest relationship that God has ever made available to us is himself. So that's the second thing. The third thing that adds color to your life is good works. The next part of the verse says, bearing fruit in every good work. Wisdom not only walks with God, but wisdom works with God. A way you can say it this way is wisdom, it's not just the way you think, it's a way of life it doesn't speculate it participates so when you think about wisdom in this way wisdom isn't philosophizing over the deep things of life and having all these deep conversations which that might be a part of it but wisdom is primarily thing that leads into a way wisdom is a way of life wisdom is full of daily choices wisdom doesn't speculate it participates wisdom bears fruit in every good work A life of meaning and a life of purpose is a life that is useful. Every single one of us wants to be useful. We want our life to matter. We want to make a difference. We want to be needed. We want to do something that matters. And what God is saying is that desire in you, once again, for some of you who may be on the outside of Christianity, I just wanna keep attaching your desires to how God made you and help you see that those desires are fulfilled in him. Your desire for company is a desire for God. Your desire for usefulness and purpose is a desire for God. Those things can only be fulfilled in God, which is why you haven't found it working out anywhere else. So wisdom is a way of life. Wisdom works. Wisdom works. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus teaches us that we please God by bearing fruit. We please God by being useful, by working and loving others, by serving the purposes of God. It says here, bearing fruit in every good work. Here's where I want to encourage some of you this morning in terms of how your life is playing out. Every good work means the small things that go unnoticed and the big things that everybody notices. Every good work is every diaper change, you know? Every good work is every sweep of the broom over the floor. Every good work is every conversation about Jesus. Every good work is every money and dollar given away. Every good work is every extra bit of effort or time you spent serving someone or loving someone or having an extended conversation or helping someone. Every good work is showing up early to come serve and play the music for us this morning. Praise God. Every good work is showing up some of the church. Every good work is being patient and kind to your spouse. Every good work is giving attention and love to your children. You see, every part of your day is filled with opportunities to be useful. And every single one of those opportunities are equally important to God and therefore you are building a life of usefulness and fullness and purpose even when you're doing small and mundane things because it all matters to God. You can bear fruit in every good work. Every minute of your day can be filled with an eternal purpose. You know how we get excited for things that we think matter. Everybody watches the Super Bowl just because we said it mattered. It's the football game just like all the other football games. The only difference is we all agree, oh, it matters more than the other ones. That's it, you know? We just agree, this one matters the most. So you say, okay, well, it's more important than all the other ones. I'll give it my attention in time. All these people who don't watch football will watch it. Why? Just because we said it mattered. That's why. It's just a football game. It doesn't matter. But we said it mattered, so we watched it. Now, this is true of our life. Whatever we say it think matters, we attach time and energy to now, the problem is we only think things matter when other people can see them or when they feel big to us. And we say, well, that's a good work. Well, that's important. Well, that person has purpose. That person has value. Well, that person's useful. And the reality is for us is that every single one of us, especially in the small unseen things on a daily basis, have the opportunity to do something that matters for eternity, to do something that will be rewarded in eternity and to do something that could make an eternal difference in someone else's life. Every moment of your day is fueled with purpose if you will turn your attention towards what kind of work you can do with God. A great question to ask yourself is, what is God up to? What is God up to in my home? How can I participate with God in what he's doing in the life of my family? What is God up to at work? How can I participate with God in what he's doing in my coworkers' lives? What is God up to? How can I join with what God is doing How can I represent God just a little bit with a word here and an act of service here? How can I do this unseen, mundane thing, but do it understanding that no one sees it, but God does, God honors it. Every part of your day can be filled with a good work which can fill your life. You and I both know, we both know, that living for yourself is the most miserable thing you could ever do. And when all of a sudden you turn things around and you begin to live for others, and you begin to live for God, you become the happiest person in the world. That's just what I wanna offer you this morning. Living for yourself is not enjoyable. Living for yourself makes you miserable. It's because God made you to live for others. And as soon as you begin to turn your attention to not what can I get from today, but how can I serve someone else today, you're gonna live a life full and a life of purpose. That's the third, the final thing is growing knowledge. So you have spiritual wisdom, relational connection, good works, and growing knowledge. You're increasing, the Bible says, in the knowledge of God. So I just wanna close with this concept here of what does it look like to grow in knowledge with God. So you have good works and you have knowledge of God. These two things are filling up your life, all Right? You have a horizontal dimension, which is going this way, good works towards others, and a vertical dimension, your relationship to God. And when you begin to do both of these things at the same time, you begin to grow. Now, some of us are unbalanced. Some of you love serving, but you don't grow in much knowledge. Some of you love talking about things of the Bible, but you never serve anyone. And you need to do both these things together. If you want a life full of color and a life full of vibrancy and a life full of purpose, you must be increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, in a world full of information overload, The one thing you need to make sure you're learning about is Jesus. You have podcasts to learn about this. You have YouTube clips to learn about that. You can learn about anything in the world you'd ever want to learn about. And in a world of information overload, sometimes we prioritize learning about everything except growing in knowledge of God. And if we choose to learn everything on the planet Earth, but choose to dismiss growth in the knowledge of God, we will choose to leave aside all these other things I've offered you this morning. There is no wisdom apart from knowledge of God. There is no real joy or purpose or love or satisfaction or fulfillment or company that satisfies apart from the knowledge of who God is. So the question then for you is in a world of information overload, where are you growing the most in? Where is your knowledge effort going? What does it look like for you to grow in knowledge with God? And one of the most important aspects of this is not just that it's intellectual knowledge, but it's relational knowledge. It's growing in your experience of who God is, in your experience of what God wants to do with your life. It's knowing Jesus personally day in and day out. So these four things, I'm gonna have the band come back up. I want us to respond to God now. These four things, spiritual wisdom, relational connection, good works, and growing knowledge are the four things that can add color to your life. And I wanna leave you with this final little thought. You guys know when you take a, take a marker and you've been in this situation where you go to the drawer or whatever and the marker has been left with the top off, you know? And you think, ah, uh, and you try to draw with it, if this happens in my life. I can't imagine the amount of money I've spent on markers in my life as a parent. And all the parents said amen to that. So I don't even know. I don't even know. Could have paid off my house or something about it this time. When you, we go in there, you say, you don't have the top on. It doesn't, it can't draw. It can't color. It becomes useless. And the reason for that is because it gets hard. It's not fresh anymore. And what you see from that is if I don't take care of my marker, I can't color with it. And I want you to understand the same principle applies to your life. If you don't take care of your life and keep it fresh, you won't be able to color with it. You won't be able to use it to add these colors of vibrancy, of purpose and love, self-sacrifice, service towards others, growing in love for God and others. You won't be able to color these kinds of things in the pages of your life because you haven't taken care of who you are, what you're thinking about, and what you're loving. And so these four things are offered to you, spiritual wisdom, relational connection, good works, and growing knowledge. These four things keep the top on the mark of your life, so to speak. They allow your life to be useful, to be able to color in the lines. They keep your heart fresh and they keep you available and useful to be able to do this. Some of you walked in here this morning with very dry markers, so to speak, very dry hearts, dry minds, dry lives. You feel unable to be able to bring vibrancy and zeal to your life. What I wanna offer you this morning is the relationship you have with Jesus or can have with Jesus and these four particular things to help you take care of your life so that you can begin to color with it. So I want you to go ahead and close your eyes now. The band is playing. What I want you to do now is consider where you're at with the Lord. I'm gonna have the prayer team go ahead and come down front. God is offering you a life in full color. Maybe some of you need to receive that for the very first time today. You say, man, my life is... It's totally blah. It lacks everything it was made for. And I recognize today it's because I'm living it apart from Jesus. I invite you to come down to get prayer and to respond to God. Maybe some of you need to begin to live according to the wisdom of God. I invite you to come and pray. Kneel at the altar and leave it with the Lord. But like we've been saying these last few weeks, continue with your body that which God has been stirring in your spirit. So whether you need to get prayer, somebody lay hands on you, whether you need to kneel before the Lord and humble yourself before him, whether you need to ask a friend or a family member for prayer, find a way now, whatever the Lord has convicted or encouraged you of, however the Lord has been leading in your life, to respond in this moment and let the Lord supernaturally work in your heart and your life. Let me pray and then we'll respond to God. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship we can have to you. I pray that you would mark us as people of great spiritual wisdom, of deep relational connection, of people who are adamant to do good works, and of people who grow in the knowledge of God. I pray these these qualities would be ever-increasing in our lives, and that today your people would respond to you as you lead our hearts to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once not you stand and we'll respond to God.